back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it is time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 11th day of July. Hope you all had a great week, great weekend, whatever you may have been doing. Turned out to be a better weekend for yours truly, as I originally had thought I was going to have to do overtime work at Amazon on Sunday do a grueling 6.30 to 6 uh, p.m. kind of shift. But uh, thankfully, they did not have enough work in the building, and I got to enjoy my Sunday off, much like the uh, rest of you. Now, last week was a weird week just because it didn't feel like there was a lot going on. So, if it feels like I'm rambling on at certain points in this podcast and reaching for stuff. Now, it was kind of quiet when it came to the NBA, NFL. There was some stuff, but mostly going to focus on baseball today. And I want to start with our two local teams, the Yankees and the Mets, who are currently amongst the top teams in the sport, currently considered favorites, amongst the favorites, should we say, in their respective leagues to uh, get to the World Series. And as we know, in this crazy world of sports, nothing can ever, nor should ever, be considered a lock by any means. I mean, take the Yankees, who are sitting here right now at 61 and 25 with the best record in the sport. And it's hard to complain about anything. You, you know, the, I could sit here all day till I'm red in the face and talk about how awful Joey Gallo is or how, you know, I would replace Connor, Isaiah Connor-Falefa at shortstop with one of the young kids from the minor leagues. But for the most part, there's not a lot you can really complain about if you're a Yankee fan. I mean, they're giving you this historic season. Judge has been on this am- amazing pace. Giancarlo Stanton has shown that he can play the outfield and has stayed relatively healthy doing so, even leading to an all-star first half in his own right. You've had great stories across the board with the, the likes of Nestor Cortez, uh, Jose Trevino, even Clay Holmes, who we saw jump on the scene last year after getting him from the Pirates and had a good second half of the year, but now has taken over the Yankee closer role and been untouchable. 
And while, as I said, not a lot to complain about if you're a Yankee fan, there are still things to be concerned about. Like, you know, there was not much you could take from this series against the Red Sox over the weekend where you say, oh, you're annoyed about it. I mean, they, it is hard to win a four-game series. They came away with a split, a series that, quite frankly, the Yankees should have swept. But you saw poor defense from them on Saturday and Sunday night costing them these games. I mean, if Josh Donaldson doesn't boot a ball in the 10th inning, we're probably looking at a Yankee victory there. Or last night, I'm not sure what DJ LeMahieu was doing in the sixth inning, calling off the outfielders, thinking he was going to make those, uh, you know, Robbie Alomar, Ozzie Smith-like, over-the-shoulder-like catches in short outfield. But especially the first ball that dropped between him and Judge, I thought he should have laid back and let Aaron Judge catch that. The one in center field with Hicks, it was a little more questionable, but still, it wasn't so much they lost the last two games that I was annoyed about coming out of this weekend. It's how they played last night, and you know, defense has been a calling card for this team so far this season. And you just hope that last night was you know a blip on the radar, not a trend that you should be worried about in the weeks and days to come here as they go into their final stretch of uh, the unofficial first half of the season with a six-game homestand, three against the Reds, before three more against the Red Sox before uh, heading into the All-Star break. But, you know, I talked about things I'm concerned about. You know, the defense last night, bit concerning. A role this Chapman, what is his role on this team going forward? And those two things coincided with each other last night because with where he's at right now and how you're trying to figure out some kind of role for him, things need to be absolutely perfect for a role this Chapman. Otherwise, you're looking at him, you know, falling on his face. You know, we're lucky that he got through that inning with only giving up one run. The The real damning part of things came in the next inning when the uh, the rest of the bullpen uh, with uh, Miguel Castro and uh, Albert Abreu, they couldn't stop the bleeding. And once it got to 11-6, you're like, all right, we're going to have to settle for a split here. But the concern I have, and this is a concern I've had all year, even when things were going remarkably great in May into June, is the starting rotation. And on paper, the starting rotation, they've been phenomenal this year. You you look at Cole, outside of two starts, has been great. And then each one of these guys has made all of their starts. The only time they've gone outside of the regular five-man rotation is either if there's been a doubleheader or they want to give the guys an extra day due to a long stretch of uh, consecutive games without a day off. But everybody has made their regular turns in the rotation. 
But the last couple times through, we've seen some leaks. We've seen some guys start to, you know, show some signs of either the wear and tear of this season or the wear and tear of previous years from which they're not used to pitching this amount of innings or this kind of workload. You know, the last four starts, Jameson Tyon is pitch, <laughs> pitching to an ERA over eight. He's given up 20 runs in his last to, uh, 20 of the third innings pitched. Last night, he was given a 4 nothing lead, and before you can blink, he's slowly but surely giving that lead back, including uh, a couple of bombs uh, in the, the fifth and sixth inning there that allowed the Red Sox to get back into the game. And then there's uh, the case of Nestor Cortez, who were running close to his career high as far as innings pitch. His career high in innings pitch was back in 2018 when between the brief stint he had with the Orioles and then coming back to the Yankees after uh, them returning him on Rule 5 status, he pitched 119 innings uh, that year. So far this year, he's pitched 88 and two-thirds innings. And you've seen a lot of good, and you've also recently started to see some slippage. The first 10 starts was a dream. He gave up 10 runs combined in those 10 starts over 60 innings. The last six starts, he's got an ERA over 5.5. And, and listen, I didn't expect him to pitch to an ERA of 1.5 the entire season. I didn't expect him to be you know, Bob Gibson from the year of the pitcher. But the, you're starting to see whether it's the league is catching up to him or he's running into some dead arm. Uh, one thing I've noticed is we haven't seen a lot of the funkiness. We haven't seen a lot of the goofiness from Nestor Cortez on the mound in the last you know, several starts. Not a lot of where you see him having those pauses in his delivery or dropping down. Like He has, what, four or five pitches in his arsenal and – for every one of them seems to have you know three to four different ways that he can throw that pitch and we haven't seen that as much in these last uh month month and a half here and that's a bit concerning and as i said they're 36 games on over 500 it's hard to complain be annoyed about things but these are things that I don't think can be ignored because this is a special season that the Yankees are having. This is a year where you're saying to yourself, oh, anything less than a championship, it's a disappointing year. I would say the concerns across town with the Mets are something that they should be more so worried about than with the Yankees because the, the Yankees... You know, they have history on their side. Good history. The Mets, there's always this mindset with their fan base of, uh-oh, the world is falling. The sky is coming down. You know, this, this idea that no matter how good things are going, bad news is always around the corner. 
And they've gotten off to a great start in their year. But it started to slip away just a bit when you consider a month and a half ago, they had a 10.5 game lead in the National League East. And now we sit here on this Monday afternoon, and it's only a game and a half over the Atlanta Braves, and they're going to Atlanta to play the Braves for a three-game set starting tonight. Now, a lot of that is due to the fact that since June 1st, the Braves have the best record in baseball. They went on that streak where they won you know, 14 games in a row at one point. And since then, I don't think they've lost on back-to-back days. They have a record since June 1st of 29-6. and six. Have pitched very well, been hitting the cover off the ball, are averaging, you know, two home runs per game. Meanwhile, the Mets are barely over 500 in that time frame. And their pitching has seen a slight dip. Slight. Not drastic, but that's probably only because they've had to go outside their comfort zone in their rotation at times. And Carlos Carrasco has not exactly lit the world on fire. They've gotten good work from Taiwan Walker. He's pitched well. David Peterson in brief outings has shown you a little bit of something here and there. But even without Max Scherzer, even not having DeGrom yet, the rotation for the most part has been solid. The issue you have with the Mets is the offense. And they clearly need a to add a bat into this lineup, whether it be uh, to replace uh, Escobar and his 215 average and the fact that he's just wailing at pitches completely out of the strike zone or that now you're without James McCann for who knows how long. And this is probably at least a month and a half long injury with him going on the IL uh, this weekend due to an oblique strain. Or that you've gotten not a lot of production out of the combination of J.D. Davis and Dom Smith, who you thought was going to be, I don't know, your platoon at DH and them you know, jumping around to different spots in the, the infield and outfield. I mean, the fact that you know, Dom Smith has spent a significant amount of this season in the big leagues and he does not have a home run. And I know the Mets haven't been the greatest when it comes to uh, hitting for power. They've uh, been pretty good with hitting with runners in scoring position, but haven't been great with getting that big killer shot. That you know, that there's nothing like hitting a home run in a game. A, a three-run home run adds so, some like life to your team. Adds some uh, energy. Like, here we go, guys. Let's go. We're, uh, it's one thing to continuously knock in that runner from second or third with two outs, but you get that big shot that demoralizes the other team, can add something, add some momentum uh, to you as you go on here. And that's been something that the, 
the Mets are clearly missing. That's something that they are clearly lacking in, in their lineup. Now, outside of Alonzo, who's given them some nice punch here. But now you're going to be without Marte for who knows how long. It doesn't sound like it's going to be something that's going to be knocking him out for a month. But a groin injury, you worry about him coming back too quickly from that. You worry about him aggravating that and then it leading to something even longer. So the Mets really need to add a bat here. Also need to add a bullpen arm because as good as Diaz is, the problem has been for the Mets at times getting the ball to him. Get, you know, you've seen some you know, issues. Out of Vino has been hit or miss. Uh, Seth Lugo has been all right. But the, the rest of these guys, do you really feel comfortable handing them the ball in the seventh or eighth inning? You don't, you don't want to, as good as Diaz has been, you don't want to always have to go to him for a four or five out save starting in uh, the eighth inning. That's something you want to only do every once in a while. Don't want to you know, get him in a routine where, oh, he got five outs one night and now he's not available the next night. So get a bat if you're the Mets, especially you know, with how the Braves are coming on here and starting to put some pressure on you. You know, if this was a month ago, I would say, <laughs> all right, you got uh, this huge lead. Maybe things will turn around. But now that you've got the Braves looking right over your shoulder, you've got to start addressing these concerns. And the fact that they have you know, a different hierarchy there. In the past, I would have looked at the Wilpons and said, oh, they're not going to address anything. They're going to sit on their hands heading into a trade deadline. But now, with an owner that wants to win, a general manager and Billy Epler, who made some solid moves during the offseason, especially getting Bassett in here. I've said this before about the Mets. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Now, you can't always look and say, oh, we've got a great future ahead of us because Max Scherzer is not getting any younger. Jacob DeGrom, you don't, A, you don't know if he's going to be completely healthy or stay healthy when he comes back. And B, how much longer are you going to have him in his prime? So if he's healthy and Scherzer's healthy, you got to strike while the iron is hot. you got to take advantage of this opportunity of having potentially two future Hall of Fame aces in your rotation at the ex- same time, pitching at uh, the top of their game. Especially in a postseason that's going to be wide open this coming October. Now, I'll address that later on, but... The Mets can't sit on their hands here. The Mets have to address these needs at the trade deadline. Otherwise, not only are they going to be passed up by the Braves of the division, but they're going to let a great chance at winning their first title in over 30 years fly right by. All right, a lot I want to get to over the next about 
40 minutes or so here, give you some thoughts on the trade that went down on the in the NFL this week, um, talk about the MLB All-Star game, as well as a big contract extension in uh, the NBA handed out to Dame Lillard. So a lot to get to for the next about 40 minutes or so here. Glad you could join me this week. So at this time, please sit back, relax, help. Put your feet up if you feel like it, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. I want to quickly remind you all where you can find the, the podcast each and every single week on social media. Of course, first being on Facebook.com slash Keeping It Sports with M3. Go there, click the like button, and you'll find not just the podcast, but the the video version of this and all previous editions of this podcast. As well, you can find those on both Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram feed for this is at keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore m3 on instagram and on twitter you can find uh, the podcast at keeping it sports as well as follow my personal account at m3 rosansky that's at m-t-h-r-e-e-r-o-z-a-n-s-k-y at m3 rosansky on all of those each week i will share all of the links, all the feeds of where you can find this podcast. It is finally over. Our long national nightmare is over. Well, at least when it comes to the sports world. And no, I'm not talking about Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. No, of course, it's been the story that every time you turn on ESPN or Fox Sports or any of these um, news outlets that talk about football has been discussed for months, and that is Baker Mayfield's future with the Cleveland Browns. And a couple of weeks ago, he at least cracked the door open a little bit to a possible reunion, saying they would need to reach out and reconcile things. Well, clearly that is not going to happen. As last week, the Browns agreed to trade Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers. And a couple of things here. Baker had to take a slight pay cut in order for this deal to uh, take place. He was originally slated to make $18.5 million next year. Now he will make just under $15.5 million with a little under $5 million of that being paid by the Carolina Panthers. And the Browns showing how much they really wanted to get rid of him, that they would uh, be willing to pick up $10.5 million of his salary for next season. And what I don't get here, a, a couple things. A, the Browns, we all know in all likelihood, are going to play most of, if not all of, this coming season without Deshaun Watson. They're, you know, the league is going to come down 
pretty heavily on him. Wouldn't you want... I, I've said this before. Baker is not the greatest quarterback in the world, but he's won games for them there. He's won a postseason game for them there. Wouldn't you have wanted to at least try to go through this year with someone that has effectively led this team in its most success, probably since it's come back to Cleveland? And the, now, what they've done the last couple of years is more than anything you could say about them since uh, they packed up and became what we know as the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And the the fact that now the, I found this funny: the fact that they would actually come out in the last couple of days through media reports and say that they viewed Baker Mayfield as childish and immature. And listen, he did way too many commercials for my liking. Every time you turn around, there, there was a progressive commercial with him and his wife living in, in the stadium there in Cleveland. You saw how he was very chippy with the media, especially got into what it seemed like a you know, subtle uh, war of words with uh, longtime radio host Colin Cowherd over the last couple of years. And you know, countless other times where he was uh, taking offense to things that happened on social media. But if that's the worst of things, you're, you're going to look at him as childish and immature. You brought in a quarterback that just had to settle 24 civil suits against him due to uh, allegations of sexual misconduct made by tw 24 different um, former uh, masseuse therapists of his. And you're going to call Baker Mayfield childish and immature? It feels like you know, he's handled himself well, surprisingly, this offseason. Has acted a little bit humble. And I guess that's because he may realize that his NFL future is on the line now. But if anything, the fact that you keep seeing these reports being put out there by um, people within the Browns organization, I and mean, these things wouldn't get out unless someone really wanted them out. So clearly they're the ones that are, are acting childish and immature right now. Now, what's interesting is he is now going to be competing because nothing has been guaranteed to him as far as the starter's job, although I'd be surprised if he's not playing week one, ironically, against the Cleveland Browns, who will likely be led by Jacoby Brissett. But he's going to be going up against one of his fellow uh, 2018 uh, draft class mates in Sam Darnold for the starting quarterback spot on the Carolina Panthers. And Darnold's got to be looking around like, what does this mean for me now? What Now, what does this mean for my future? So that's going to be something to watch there. On a team that, no, I'm not expecting a lot from them this year, but they now become somewhat entertaining with this, um, you know, 
potential quarterback controversy that they've got on their hands. Now, one thing that is going to annoy a lot of people, and this made news over the last couple of days, is the fact that the NFL Sunday ticket is going to leave DirecTV for streaming services following this uh, coming year. It, you know, Roger Goodell announced uh, those plans over the last couple of days in an interview with NBC. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone should be surprised by this. I mean, you look at the way of the world these days. The fact that you have Major League Baseball broadcasting games on a weekly basis on streaming services. I mean, each and every week, the Friday game for the Yankees is on uh, Amazon Prime. You've had these games every week on Apple Plus on Friday nights with an announced crew that, quite frankly, has infuriated most people. Sunday, Every Sunday morning, you're seeing baseball uh, have a, a game on Peacock. And hell, with... The Thursday night football package moving to Amazon Prime this coming fall, to me, this was only a matter of time until the the Sunday ticket moved off of uh, DirecTV and went to a streaming service that, yeah, it's going to annoy uh, some DirecTV uh, holders because that's the only reason they had DirecTV uh, to begin with. But now is going to be made more available because seemingly everyone has these streaming service packages these days. And I mean, the only question to be asked here is who's it going to be? Because you know, Goodell said a deal will be finalized this fall. You got to know all of these uh, providers are going to be competing with each other for it. Apple Plus, Amazon Prime. ESPN, you know, they're going to look to add to their already huge deal with the Monday Night Football package. And the this is the way that the world is going. I, at some point, it would not surprise me in the future. And it will annoy me if it does get to this point. But it will be just something we have to adjust to. If playoff games start getting put on streaming services. Not just the NFL, but Major League Baseball, the NBA. I'm surprised that the NBA has not gotten more involved in in this uh, to begin with, how they haven't had games on streaming services uh, just yet. But you got to figure in the years to come, that is something uh, that will happen. And, you know, these streaming services, they're willing to dish out big money to get this kind of stuff. I mean, I know it's not a sport, but as you all know, my second favorite thing to watch on TV outside of the sports world, <coughs> excuse me, is the WWE wrestling. And just about a year and a half ago, they sold their network, the WWE network, to Peacock for over $100 million over the next uh, five years. I think, in fact, it might have been the big B word, $1 billion that they uh, sold it for. 
so if they can get that kind of money for their network, can you just imagine what the Sunday ticket is going to get the NFL from one of these streaming services? They're looking at what, you know, for now, Vince McMahon and the WWE are doing, and they got dollar signs flashing in front of their eyes like ka-ching. No. If sports entertainment can get that kind of money. Imagine what the most popular sport on this planet can get for the what is going to be the most sought-after sports property in the world. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side and direct my attention back on baseball and look at the... Uh, all-Star Game rosters, as well as where we sit at the halfway point of this season. Continue keeping it at sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday, the 11th day of July. Over the weekend, we saw the rosters for the MLB All-Star Game announced. That game will be taking place on July 19th from Dodgers Stadium in Los Angeles. And there were a lot of surprises. You know, the... The big problem that a lot of people, including myself, have always had with the All-Star Game roster is the fact that every team has to be represented. And at times you look at it and you say, "Eh, why is that guy here? Is it just uh, because of that? But in the cases of certain guys, like you take Orioles reliever Jorge Lopez, Lopez, who's got an ERA under one and has been as dominant a closer as there's been in the sport. Big reason why the Orioles are just a game under 500 and had their first winning month last month since 2017. So, no, that that was a uh, deserving spot. You look at the lineup in the American League, there's not not a lot you could truly, truly argue with. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, complain and say maybe Bogarts over Tim Anderson uh, 
due to Anderson missing some time uh, due to injury, fine. But otherwise, I think the fans got that voting uh, for the most part correct. Yeah, the, the team that led with the most selections was, of course, the Yankees. And shouldn't be surprising. They, they've been the best team in the sport. They should have the uh, most uh, selections there. We're lucky that this wasn't like a month later. Nestor Cortez might have uh, missed his uh, chance to make it. But across the board in the America League, you see some good stories like Verlander and how he's bounced back from Tommy John surgery after missing essentially two years. I think he made one start in that uh, pandemic shortened season of 2020. And other than that, Prior to April this year, he had not pitched since uh, the 2019 World Series and looks like there's really no end in sight with him. You got a guy like Yankee catcher Jose Trevino, who um, no one even heard of his name before uh, the start of this season, gets traded to Yankees because, oh, they needed an extra catcher with uh, the injury to Ben Rorvik. And he's been rock solid for them, gotten a bunch of clutch hits for them. Uh, what's going to be disappointing for uh, baseball fans is we're probably not going to get to see Jordan Alvarez, who in any normal year you would think that, oh, he'd be the starting DH for the American League because he's putting up some sick numbers, leading the baseball in slugging percentage on the OPS, um, OPS Plus, has 26 home runs, uh, second in the American League to uh, Aaron Judge. But there is no denying uh, the awesome, you know, just dominance. It, it's, you're running out of superlatives at this point to throw at Shohei Otani. That's how great a show he has been, pun it unintended and he makes the team as both a pitcher and a designated hitter for the second year in a row i here's what i wish i wish that they could have you know designated it in some way so that oh he's just one spot on the uh roster rather than you know classifying him in two different places because it does feel like you know you're taking something away from it uh someone else uh making the team here but that someone else of course will make this team thanks to a the injury to Jordan Alvarez and b you're gonna have pitchers that bail out on being available to pitch in this game due to them pitching this coming Sunday like I think Garrett Cole's going to be pitching on Sunday for uh, the Yankees. So that's going to make him unavailable. Pro you'll probably see uh, some other guys uh, get lined up by their teams to pitch on the Sunday before the break. In the National League, the I think the cool thing there is you're seeing a pair of brothers both in the starting lineup with William Contreras um, making it as the National League's DH due to 
Bryce Harper having to sit this out with his hand injury, with him starting, him and his uh, brother Wilson uh, from the Cubs will become the first pair of brothers to start an all-star game together since 1992 when Roberto and Sandy Alomar uh, started uh, together, but in the National League, you know, you know there was no di- as much as Met fans probably wanted uh, Peter Alonso to be the starter at first base, and Paul Goldschmidt is just having a, a unbelievably sick year there. So you you couldn't deny him from being in the the starter lineup. It's cool. Jock Peterson um, made the starting lineup going back to L.A. Uh, should get a decent uh, reaction from the, the fans there, the Dodger fans there. But then you look at some of the pitching uh, things there. You know, Sandy Alcantara better start for the National League. If not, if not, Brian Snicker needs to be drug tested because I he's leads a baseball or is second in baseball in ERA, leads baseball in innings pitched, has eight plus uh, inning or eight starts, excuse me, of eight plus innings pitched, has gone at least seven innings in 12 consecutive starts. He's been a workhorse for the Marlins. Quite frankly, the only reason to watch a Marlins game is because of their young pitching between him and Pablo Lopez, amongst others. That's the only thing that keeps them credible or respectable. You know, if you're not going to start him, then maybe Tony Gonsolin, who's been a beyond pleasant surprise for the Dodgers. I, they thought he would be good, but I don't think they think they he'd be tied with Verlander for the wins leader, as well as have the best ERA in, in um all of baseball at this point. But, you know, besides that, I do like what the commissioner did in creating these special spots, these special selections for Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera. We we don't know what Cabrera's future holds beyond this year, but Albert Pujols has already said this is his final season. While he's not on paper having a very good year, this provides him... A moment, his la- possibly his last big moment in, in the sun in front of fans, where he, he can get that you know Jeter, Cal Ripken like response reaction from the crowd walking off the field at an All Star game for the final time. And no, it's not like this game counts for anything. It, it was dumb years back when they did the whole oh, this game counts and the. The winning side gets home field advantage for the World Series. I mean, you were kind of playing too many hands there because you're saying this game counts, and then you have guys from teams that aren't going to even sniff the postseason being involved in this. So I thought that was a, a cool thing, good, a rare good thing by Rob Manfred by putting these two future Hall of Famers, these two legends in this game. They're, along with Hank Aaron, they're two of three players all time that have 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and 600 doubles. And these two guys are going to easily walk into Cooperstown when it's all said and done.
Last week we've reached the halfway point in the season. Everybody has now played at least 81 games uh, in the, the season. And you look at the standings so far. You know, why I wasn't too, too upset by the Yankees splitting against the Red Sox this weekend. Well, it would have been great to just shove it up there, you know what, uh, getting a four-game sweep up there. I, I said I was more annoyed with the way they played the last, you know, what, 11 innings of baseball, the last two innings on Saturday night, and the way they played last night than I was the, the result of it. But they have a hefty lead in uh, the American League East that allows them to give guys rest at times. And it's surprising that they had this kind of, this kind of lead. A, because you know, they've been able to keep everybody healthy. But B, you know, I thought there would be more of a fight from both the Blue Jays and the Rays. I didn't have any expectations from the Red Sox coming into this season. But the Blue Jays have hit some tough times, have lost nine of their last 10 games. And the Rays seemingly can't go through a week without losing anybody to the IL. And they've been the uh, walking wounded so far this year. The the only saving grace is they haven't lost uh, their ace, Shane McClanahan, for any length of time. The best story in that division has got to be as far as team perspective, it's got to be the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, who who thought that we'd be sitting here in the middle of July and they'd be only a game under 500? I thought they were going to be a doormat once again, but uh, they uh, have had a pretty good last couple months, including with the sweep over the Angels this weekend, complete a their first eight-game winning streak since 2015. And... You know, with that sweep, it continues what's been a tailspin of a year for the Angels. Remember, June 1st, the Angels were 27 and 23. They were right in the midst of uh, playoff contention. And since then, they've fallen apart. They got their manager, Joe Madden, fired. And now it's a one-team race there in uh, the American League West. Just a matter of how much the Houston Astros are going to beat up on of the teams in the division. Then the only the only division that has a chance to be somewhat competitive right now in the American League is the Central with the Twins only having a four and a half game lead on uh, the Guardians and a five game lead on the White Sox. The White Sox have the White Sox you could argue are the biggest disappointment of the first half. If it, you're going to say the Orioles are the biggest surprise and the White Sox are definitely the biggest uh, disappointment because there were chances to take advantage of the Twins. The Twins at certain points this first half have had every member of their starting rotation on the IL for a degree of time. They've lost one member of their rotation, Chris Paddock, to Tommy John surgery for the year. And still, the White Sox cannot get out of their own way, cannot you know, put together any consistency. I mean, the only consistent thing about them has been their inconsistency. That's why countless times you flip on White Sox games in uh, 
the last couple of weeks and you hear the crowd chanting fire Tony wanting, you know, Tony LaRusso sent back into retirement, but Jerry Reinsdorf loves him. And that was his call. As long as he sees fit, Tony LaRusso is going to be managing that team. Now things are a little more competitive in the national league where we talked about this earlier. The Mets only have a game and a half lead over the Atlanta Braves. Probably going to be a two-team race there, but you'll get some feistiness along the way from both the Phillies and the Marlins, especially with the pitching that the Marlins can run out there um, night in, night out. You know, it's it's becoming with the Mets a lot like what the Yankees used to have to deal with with John Lester. Not... Not that John Lester ever pitched to this level, but every single time the Yankees played the Red Sox during John Lester's really good years, Lester was always lined up to face the Yankees. Somehow, some way. Even if it was just a two-game set. And the same thing is happening for the Mets here. Every time they played the Marlins, somewhere along the way, they are facing Sandy Alcantara, his turn always falls in line with a Mets series. Now, it's good for fans like me because I like watching great players. It's bad for the Mets because they got to deal with situations like yesterday where they lose a game in extra innings and could not even drive a run across against this great young pitcher. In the central two-team race there, Brewers and Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals, you know, they've got offense. They've they've got a pretty good lineup there, especially with the years that Arenado and Goldschmidt are having. What they're lacking is that true definitive ace. And they would hope that Jack Flaherty is, is that guy, but injuries have been a concern for him the uh the last year or so. And you know, with the Brewers, you know, they're top-heavy in the rotation, but they sure could use a bat there to go along uh, with Christian Yelich to add some extra punch to uh, their lineup. A week ago, you would have thought that the National League West was going to be very competitive, but the Dodgers have run away with things here on a seven-game winning streak, along with the Padres starting to fall back to earth. They're They've lost seven of their last uh, 10 games, and they still do not have Fernando Tatis. I mean, you know, th- that injury has been uh, befuddling, but also shows what, what an idiot he is. The fact that you're arguably the most important player on the team, and you're going to do something stupid like ride a dirt bike during the offseason and put them in a spot where now they're just looking to stay locked in to a uh, a National League wildcard spot. Now, and that, that's why this trade deadline is so intriguing because you've got a lot of teams that are going to be looking for things. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of teams that are you know bottom feeders. There's not a lot of teams that are are going to be looking to be sellers here. I mean, the Royals and the Tigers probably, but you know, the Tigers don't really have 
the pitching to give away right now. They're trying to build up a young staff. The A's are going to have one of the most sought-after pitchers at this deadline in Frankie Matas. Even the Angels, who, you know, right now I know that as we sit here, the Angels are still, believe it or not, just seven games back for the third wild card spot. They've got to jump over five teams. So they're going to have, you know, a sought-after pitcher in their own right in uh, Noah Syndergaard. So this trade deadline coming up three weeks from tomorrow, yeah, three weeks from tomorrow is going to be fascinating to watch. See who truly believes they're in it, who's willing to give up a lot to make that big push. Said earlier, the Mets need to add a bat and a bullpen arm. The Yankees should be looking to add starting pitching help to lengthen out that rotation, especially with uh Cortez and uh, Tyon uh, starting to tire out a little bit. But a lot of teams are going to be looking for starting pitching help. And, uh, and is there going to be a team that is willing to throw up the white towel? And the Indians, or the Guardians, excuse me, I knew I was going to make that mistake. The Guardians, people have been saying, oh, someone should contact them for Shane Bieber. They're two games back for the third wild card spot. They're four and a half back in the division. They're not going to be quitting on anything. In the, the National League, you know, the, the Giants, it's never been their mindset to sell off or trade. They're two games back for a wild card spot. You know, maybe could someone be willing to take on Madison Bumgarner's contract and make a run at things there with him? Because, Remember, originally he signed with the Diamondbacks just because he wanted to still hit. Well, the DH is in both leagues now, so it's, there's really no difference. The, and the, the Reds, who are going to be uh, sellers, you know, the, the big piece people are going to be chasing from them is, of course, Luis Castillo. That, uh, him and Matas are going to be the most sought-after pitchers in the uh, this deadline, you know, especially because now I'm looking at it uh, right now, Patrick Corbin, who's got a year and a half left on his deal, he's been awful for the Washington Nationals this year. So I'm not sure who, if anyone, would want to take on his deal. But should be fun these over these next three weeks to see how things settle down. Because remember. There's no waiver deadline anymore. There's none of that, oh, you cleared someone through waivers in August and you have them on your team by August 31st, they're playoff eligible. It's who's on your team by August 2nd, that's what you got to run with unless the guy is DFA'd and a free agent out there. That's the team you got to run with through the rest of the year. All right, I'm going to take one final break here, but come back on the other side and close things up for this week. But please, continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. Only a few more minutes left here, but a couple more things I wanted to get to, including I want to congratulate Novak Djokovic on winning his seventh Wimbledon championship yesterday morning. His fourth consecutive uh, title at this event with a four-set victory over Nick Kyrgios in the finals. Yeah, and I thought, you know, and even not as the biggest tennis fan in the world or someone who will never claim to be any kind of tennis expert, I thought the the biggest thing here was you could clearly see Nick Kyrgios is more athletic than him, has much more speed than him. But Karios let every little thing get to him. He let all the you know, things that were going on in the crowd, uh, calls that didn't go his way by the chair umpire, uh, start to frustrate him, especially in the third and fourth uh, sets that truly set him on a downfall here and led to Jovac uh, uh, winning his, uh, Djokovic, excuse me, winning his seventh Wilton championship here. Now, who knows when the next time we're going to see him due to the fact that he's not going to get vaccinated, so he won't play in the U.S. Open coming up, what, next month here, but... A remarkable feat from even with you know the fact that Nadal had to pull out before the semifinals uh due to injuries, the fact that Federer wasn't uh part of this and hopefully he'll be back to play in it next year. It's his seventh time winning this uh championship, fourth time in a row. He's an all time great. It, you just you wish that we would get an all-time great like this as an American. Because then I think you would have more eyes than just the diehard, uh, passionate uh, tennis fans. You would have the, you know, the the casual people like myself who only tune in for the big events, uh, the the big moments, really uh, dialed in for things like yesterday. I mentioned last week in the NBA how there was kind of this arms race going on between, in particular, the Celtics and uh, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks with the the moves that they were making to strengthen their depth. Well, the Celtics added a stretch four to the mix in the last couple of days, signing Danilo Gallinari two years for $13 million. Remember, he was traded a couple of weeks ago uh, to the Spurs as part of that package that got the Hawks DeJounte Murray, but waived last week and now will join the Celtics um, coming off their bench where he's been a pretty good three-point shooter over the course of his career. Last year was a down year from three-point shooting-wise. was only at his career mark of just over 38%, whereas the previous three seasons – he shot 43%, 40.5%, and 40.6%. But, you know, as I said, it adds depth to the Celtics. Now, they, they did the same uh, the week prior with adding Mar- um, Malcolm Brogdon. 
you saw with uh, the Bucks, them adding Joe Engels and keeping a lot of their core pieces, their key guys to back up their big three around. So right now, you look at it on paper, these are the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. A lot of that could change depending on what else the likes of the Heat, 76ers, and if you want to throw them in the mix, the Brooklyn Nets to do uh, this offseason. And, you know, it's interesting, the last couple of days, you've seen and heard a lot when it comes to Damian Lillard because he added to the contract that he already had with the Portland Trailblazers. He still had roughly, what, three years at a hundred and... $48 million remaining on his contract. Well, he signed a two-year extension that will take him through, through the 2026-2027 season over the weekend. That now lengthens that contract out to being five years for $270 million. And, you know, he talked about in his press conference a lot about loyalty, Loyalty to that organization, loyalty to the city of Portland. And you know, loyalty only goes so far. You know, no one, there's a lot of those out there that are going to look at it and say, yeah, loyalty, because they're giving you $270 million, um over the next five years. And by the end of this, you'll be one of the richest players in the history of the NBA. And while he's he's not going to probably win a championship over these next couple of years because they are in rebuild mode there, clearly showed that with the willingness to trade C.J. McCollum. Although I think it was about time to break that pairing up there because they had reached the ceiling of what they could get to. Damian Lillard is under no pressure. We know he's a great player. We know that in all likelihood he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's a top 75 uh, player in the history of basketball. But he's not under pressure to win. He's not under pressure like the likes of LeBron James or Kevin Durant, where if they went their careers without winning a championship, we'd look at them and say, what the hell happened? Now, we, we do that with the likes of Patrick Ewing. But Patrick Ewing ran into the Bulls dynasty. The same thing applies for Reggie Miller. He ran into the back half of the Bulls dynasty while at the same time butting heads with the greatness of the Lakers and the Spurs in the early 2000s. Sometimes there's things beyond your control that prevent you from having your moment in the sun, having your ultimate moment of glory. So that's why, you know, no one's going to ever look at the likes of Allen Iverson and say his career was a failure because he didn't win a championship. Carmelo Anthony, I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of people either way with that. 
Chris Paul, as we know, has seemingly been given this free pass by the media where he can continue to fail in the big spot and will still be viewed as an all-time great. But Dame Lillard, we've seen him be clutch when it's needed. He's been an all-star countless times. He's been um, regarded amongst the best players in this sport for a guy that came out of a lesser-known college and was viewed as a small point guard coming into this league. He's had a remarkable career for himself and still got time to go at 31. I no, I would like to see him compete for a championship at some point. Who knows, maybe he has that wake-up call at some point like Kevin Garnett did. Where Remember, Garnett was always so loyal to the Minnesota Timberwolves, did not want to move on from them, uh, wanted to remain a T-Wolf his entire career before. You know, whether it was Paul Pierce came to him and said, <laughs> you got to move on, or the organization came to him and said that, Dame Lillard, no, he he really does not have to win a championship, but with how great a player he's been and how much a class act and you know model citizen he's been, I damn sure hope that whether it's in Portland or he goes somewhere else, he at least one time in his career has the shot to get a ring. Now, someone who's clearly ring chasing is still Brooklyn Net Kevin Durant. And, you know, at least we got a break from all of this nonsense in the last week. But the one thing that I don't get with Kevin is his insecurity. He's one of, if not the best basketball players on the planet. And why is it he's looking for the quick fix. Why is it he's looking for the easy way out? Is that I, I don't get. I mean, it's one thing to be annoyed with both the Nets and Kyrie for how that situation has fallen apart. Most of it on Kyrie for you know, how every week it seems like he's got a new clause he wants to stand up for when really he's not truly standing up for anything. But Durant... He wants to move out of the Nets and move on, but his preferred destinations are the Suns and the Heat, the two teams had, who had the best records in their respective conferences uh, last year. And what even, even gets me more is the fact that he thinks that the Nets could make, should make trades with those teams without them gutting their rosters. You know, without the the Heat having to give up the likes of Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, draft picks, and whatever contracts they need to do to match things up. Or without the Suns having to put DeAndre Aiden in some kind of sign-and-trade or Mikel Bridges or, or Cam Johnson or anybody on that team as uh, currently uh, constructed. The only place that he could possibly pull off that kind of scenario is if he went back to Golden State, where, as I laid it out last week, you put at least three of Kuminka, Wiseman, Moody, or Poole 
in a deal along with Andrew Wiggins and draft picks. And then you still have a championship caliber, championship favored team there with the Warriors. But the Nets are under no way forced or have to cave into Durant's um, demands. What they need to do is for the best aspect or the best interest of their franchise. Not what's in the best interest of Kevin Durant. What helps him get to a championship or puts him in championship contention the fastest. What makes him the happiest, quickest. You know, in some ways I'm hoping cooler heads prevail and that we go in the next year with Durant and Irving still on the team. But I also look at this and like say to myself, you know, this is a mess. This is a, a situation where even if you go into next year with them still on the team, who's to say that they're not demanding for trades in the middle of the year? And, you know, Kyrie, he's not going to be getting a max extension from the Nets this summer because the Nets don't trust him and rightfully so. So with that the case, it, you know, is he even, if he's not traded the, this offseason to the Lakers, is he even going to show up next year at all? Is he just going to uh, force his own way out of here? And if, if he does that, like, say, before training camp and KD is still here, is KD going to um, sit out as well? So it's, you know, it's an annoying thing. It's, as a fan of the Brooklyn Nets, it's aggravating to deal with things like this. But moments like this, KD demanding a trade, Kyrie and all his nonsense, the way James Harden forced his way out of Houston and eventually Brooklyn, and the Ben Simmons drama in Philadelphia are all the reasons and more why I truly believe the next time the NBA CBA is up for discussions, we're going to have a rather long lockout on our hands. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, July 11th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a fun, safe week. And I'll talk to you all again same time next week. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Not least. I'll be back.